Welcome, everyone, to the Film Alchemist podcast, the show where we take apart movies we like to find out what elements make them magic. I'm your host, Josh Griffey, joined, as always, on my ritualistic descent into darkness by my friend and co-host... Alex Dundino. Oh, there you go. Spicy International (laughs) Dundino. Alex Dundino. (laughs) Okay, so guys, uh, we are balls deep in the pod goes to hell theme. This one is a movie that I adore. I found this on a whim a couple years ago. It came out in 2016, I believe. Found it on a whim on like one of those lists of great little movies you might have missed. Uh, And I have been sharing the gospel of this movie ever since. I adore this film. So today we watched A Dark Song. 2016, you can find it on Netflix. It is... Well, first off, let's do our our rating. So IMDb has this at a 6.1. Rotten Tomatoes, though, 91. Makes sense. This, This is a movie that, yeah, I can imagine filmmakers and critics like a lot more than the average audience. Yes. I I would imagine the payoffs are not what the average audience hopes for. I actually find it fascinating, right? I think think it's kind of billed as a horror film. I wouldn't say it's a horror film. Yeah, I wouldn't at all. Just because the movie has horrific elements doesn't make it a horror film. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think this is, I mean, this this was my first time watching it. And yeah, like, I don't really. I didn't think it was necessarily it, it got to the point where I was like, there's really nothing about this movie that has horror in it. Like this is purely psychological. Uh, this is purely like just a psychological film. Like I wouldn't even call it a psychological thriller. It's just psychological in so many ways. That <laughs> yeah, I mean, the- I guess it's not thrilling to some people. There's not a lot of like cat and mouse whodunit chasing. Uh, no, it's not. Yet- very, it's not very thrilling. What it is is like this long burn, this long slow burn that just gestates until the very end, and then like you get some horror elements, but it's really not that horrific. It's it, simply just it plays life. to me as a more muted hereditary, right? Like, Hereditary is actually a horror film. <laughs> like, it, it goes all the way there. Right. This one feels like they had a story they wanted to tell about a personal tragedy and grief. Yeah. And they kind of shoehorned some of the horror elements in, maybe, you know, just as a, a marketing device. Yeah. Uh, but to me, it, it plays fine. It doesn't hurt the film at all. No, um, I, I think this is a, a master class in low-budget writing and filmmaking. This movie achieves so much with so little. Yeah. I mean, it has two actors who are both phenomenal. It's sparse. Yeah. And the some of the set deck tricks they do are insane. Um, obviously, as they go through the wit- ritual, they get a lot of run out of fairly benign things that just in the context of the house as a pressure cooker get blown into something so much more. It's, it's yeah. a pretty phenomenal trick they pull off. It's... It's really well constructed for yeah. I mean, I think masterclass and low budget filmmaking filmmaking is a great way to put it. It's just, it's an incredible thing to be. I mean, you have one great location, two great actors, and like a great a great subject for pressure cooking. Like that's the thing that I think makes it horrific. If you really want to get into what would make what would constitute a horror film, is uh the actual setting and the actual thing they have to do in the setting is what makes things horror because there's always something you're waiting in this movie for something to come out around the corner. And Liam Gavin is a really, a a really a pro filmmaker to not give you that on a regular basis. 
in this movie. I, I really well, a, I appreciate that. Right. And there's also the problem of when you're trying to achieve those kind of scare moments. Yeah. If your budget's not right and you don't have enough time to do them, one of those that's really bad can, <laughs> especially yeah. early, can kind of sink your whole project. So to me, it was probably a calculated gamble of focus on what he's he's got two great actors, a great script uh, with a lot of room to chew the scenery. Right. Yeah. So focus on that. Focus on the actors. Give them better scenery to chew. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, you kind of take all your shots at the end just to to get that genre marker. Yeah. Um, and I think he did it well. So the movie begins with the title card. Uh, we just looked it up. Psalms 91, correct? Yep. It's a Bible verse. For he shall give his angels charge over thee to help thee in all thy ways. Uh, it's a great... A lot, of, a lot of times these movies put quotes at the start, and I don't feel like they particularly matter a lot to this. Uh, this one does, though. This this one really works with this movie. And the, the thing I hone in on on this is kind of the, again, it kind of plays God as an absentee landlord type. Yeah. Right? Like, angels, go be the leasing officers for this earth. <laughs> I got other shit to do, right? So that plays into her emotional grief, right? You know, the where was God when this happens to me thing that a lot right. of humans have. And uh, giving the angels charge over all your ways, there's there's kind of this concept. It's almost a Hellraiser concept, right? That mm-hmm. to some I'm an angel, to some I'm a demon, right? And right. There, there's this. So the the, theory, the basis of the movie is a woman who's going through the grief of the loss of a child um, is pretty much giving up everything and beginning to cleanse her body for this ritual which will allow her to meet, I think it has to be the guardian angel, but he does say it's real angels and real demons, right? Right. So her guardian angel, she will summon him and be able to ask him to grant a wish, essentially. Um, And her wish is to hear her son's voice again. Right. It's Right? So there's this grief factor, and what I like about it is that concept of real angels, real demons, right? And then, when because when the verse says, um, help thee in all thy ways, that kind of... Hence that this could help you to the path of self-destruction right. as well. Well, and it's all based on the, uh, I really liked the, I mean, the basis in what it is is really interesting. Like, it's not just made up, like, because sometimes the problem, like, I have with exorcism movies, which I think are great often. Like, I love religious. How dare movies. you? It's my favorite subgenre. Everyone I love that. religious <laughs> horror movies. And I love exorcism stuff. The problem with exorcism stuff, though, is there's so much information that gets lost uh, in the sort of sensationalism of exorcism. Mm-hmm. This is like the most literal stuff I've seen in a long time of like the uh, ritual is like uh, the rite of uh, Abramlin, I think, which is uh, I think it's a pagan ritual. And we read that Aleister Crowley tried to perform it a couple of times. Like this is something that people have done in the past. And I think what I really liked is that a, I don't know enough about this to like do my research because the problem is, is there's so much exorcism at this point that you can look at an exorcist and say something like, Oh, that's not really what people would be doing. That's not really an exorcism right. or anything like that. This well, is so how much, how much money would you give to see the documentary footage locked in a Scientology vault of Aleister Crowley going through this ritual? <laughs> I would give a lot of money, but that's like my thing. He's like sitting there with this little e-reader, you know, like peeing in the circle and getting water dumped on it. But that's like the interesting thing about the the ritual is I don't know. I don't know enough about it, but what's interesting. I can't get that out of my head now. I think what was interesting is like the result of which is 
getting to meet not God, but like your guardian angel and ask for a favor. Like that's right. Well, this that, this movie that, is not that's interesting. It's it's an inversion of the Exorcist, right? Instead of yeah. expelling a bad spirit, you're trying to summon and trap a good spirit. Right, you're inviting a benevolent spirit, but if you fuck up, it goes so horribly wrong that you invite, like, all the demons ever. Right, right. Well, yeah, so after the card, we start to get into the ritual preparation, right? So one of the things this movie does that I adore, right, is the whole premise is we're going to lock two people in a house and they're going on a journey together. The extra layer they add that makes it work is that we learn that both of these people are very damaged, broken, yeah. and above all else, untrustworthy. Right. Right? So we learn that the mother, after getting out, she uh, she was in a mental asylum for a while. She said it wouldn't help. Right. So then she found this stuff online. You're like, that's a recipe for disaster. <laughs> it sounds like she's pretty much uh, telling her sister, like, you fuck off. Don't you come find me. That real, that, that real doctrine was just not doing it for me. So I'm going to go uh, talk to my guardian angel. Yeah. Yes. And she's she's in the parking lot of a grocery store getting all these supplies they'll need. Right. Food for six to eight months. All right. these things. And she sees a woman holding what we later find is, you know, a visage of her her young son who was stolen and killed in the course of a, a ritual like this, which we'll get to later. Right. Um. So she's seeing things. She's trusting this man who, and now we meet the man, also very untrustworthy, right? They start to play him mildly trustworthy at the beginning, right? Because he goes and sees everything, and then he's like, love is not a proper enough uh, reason to do this, yeah. right? Just because someone doesn't love you, whatever. And then she has to tell. So she's already lying to him. So that's another mark against her character. Right. And he doesn't take whatever money she's going to offer, right? He's saying, this is too serious, just because you're a posh girl who wants to fuck around. Right. And then she says, my son died. I want to hear his voice. And then he says, almost as if he has some kind of moral barometer, like, now that might be worth fucking with. Right? <sighs> but then once they get into the house and they start the rituals, we see fast, like, we peel the layers off this guy and he's he's a... Uh, he says at one point he's starting to Jones, right? And he's shaky and sweaty. Yeah, he's like, my, I lead up. Yeah, yeah I lead a hard part. life, and I got to get it out, right? He has to purify himself, too. So you put her in this house with a guy who then all of a sudden seems very scary, and he flips the switch into kind of drill sergeant real fast. Yeah. So that that ju juxtaposition of both of these people are on a mission and need to rely on each other, but they're both tremendously untrustworthy Yeah. makes this movie work almost it, – it's probably the most important element in the movie to me. Yeah, I mean, I think the – yeah, I totally agree. The part of the movie that's so – that drives that drives from the point that they enter the house through to the end is the fact that you do not know who's telling the truth the entire time. And you don't know if either of them are. And you find out later that kind of neither of them really are. But at the same time, like, <laughs> that's what makes them so interesting and that's what makes them so compelling is – so much of the ritual you find is meant to be based in like purifying your spirit and being honest with yourself and the world. And really neither of these people are, I mean, I, as soon as you see the guy start like trembling and with the D like mm -hmm. end up with the DTs, you're like, Oh dude, this is, this guy is. Yeah. Fucked. And then they cut to her in her bedroom and she's like locking her door with the chair. Yeah. <laughs> so she's even aware. Oh boy, this is not great, yeah. but she's willing to go on. So she, while they're both untrustworthy, uh, she's very determined to do this ritual. Yeah. Um, 
And they, yeah, she even tells her sister, right? It doesn't matter if it's right or wrong. Nothing else worked. This is what I need to do. I want to do. Um, yeah, it's just, it's very, you know, it's it's the where's the goodness of your God, you know? Like, I can't stay at your house. There's a hole in me that can't be filled. I see you with your kids and it just makes me more sad, right? So right. there's no happiness or anything like that. She is all in on this ritual. So that's the thing. It's It's people committed to the end. And then they do a really cool thing I liked, which was, as he's unshackling the house from reality, he seals it, the house, in a salt circle, yeah. right? And he's like, again, this is your last chance. Once I do this, we cannot leave this house, which we're going to discuss that again later, too. That's a cool gag that comes back. Right. But again, it's it's one of those insanely low-budget ways to kind of hang a lantern, right? It's a, it's a screenwriting term. You hang a lantern on a problem that an audience... Uh, is going to imagine you don't have a great answer for it, so you just shine a light on it, right? right? And one of the obvious problems would be, well, if shit gets worse and worse, why not just walk the fuck out? Be like, well, we tried and whatever. The the ceiling, while si- visually simple, it's it's like building a giant fortress and a moat around that house. Right. It's, it's a great low-budget trick. I mean, what's awesome about it is it's built so much already on... The movie has done, the movie has done such a good job already of building out this it's not your job to believe in this, the ritual. Like that's the really great thing is as an audience member, you don't have to believe it is before it starts. These guys though, absolutely 100% have to be committed for the ritual to work. And this is a great screenwriting tool too, is in the, like really in the sort of the prologue where he's describing the ritual and discussing what's going on, like the commitment required and the commitment that they've already put towards it for purifying their body is so important and so interesting mm-hmm. that you're like, if they seal this house and they fucking leave, horrible shit will happen. Like it's this is it's such a clever, it's it, I, it's it's not lantern hanging, but it's such a clever way to like trap the trap the viewer in already because if these people are willing to go through all this, you have to assume they're going to believe that a salt circle is going to keep them safe and or unsafe if they cross it right it's it's a it's an easy and visually interesting way to fix what is the big problem of the movie right right that's the give is why wouldn't they just leave as it gets worse here's an interesting question for you so later in the movie we see that she crosses the circle right right things at this point have already descended beyond belief uh she's alone again we'll, we'll kind of go backwards but while we're on the salt what do you think happens when she crosses the circle? Because she does the one thing that she says not to. And then even after, there's another scene where he obviously pulls some sneakery. And she's like, fuck you, I'm leaving. Yeah. And he's like, he is frantic. You can't leave. You can't leave. Oh, my God. Like, keeping her in the house, begging her to stay. Right. You know? I swear I'll give you your child. So he obviously really believes this. And then when she does it, it kind of throws the whole movie for a loop for a minute, right? Because right. you're like, was the salt something that he did just as a trick to her, right? Because he's sexually gaslighting her or whatnot. Right. Is there a power to the salt? When she gets out and walks, they do a cool trick where the uh, road dividing markers, normally I think yellow solid lines. Yeah. I, we see them earlier in the movie. Now they look like salt lines. Oh, I never. I didn't and she ends that. up back at the house, and you don't know. Is it supposed to be saying that she turned back to the house, or could she never actually leave? I think it's the latter, personally, because yeah, the, the idea to me of 
when he salt circles the house, the idea to me is that that's supposed to unhook the house from re- the from the variable reality that they're supposed to be living right. in. So the reality of the house functions separately from normal reality. So for her to cross the line, essentially all that does is put her out of time and space. So the only place she can go is the place that she was supposed to be, which is the house. Yeah, see, I was wondering, because it's it's kind of a perfect microcosm of the film A Dark Song, right? It's, right. When she crosses the circle, you assume there will be fire and brimstone. And, yeah, yeah. Ah, there's hell outside, you know? Right. Like, she's entering, like, the event horizon realm. But then it's very sparse. It's just empty. There's a maggoty yeah. dog, I think, is all she sees. And then she comes back to the house. I mean, I think that, that that's really kind of what this movie does such a good job of. It's 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 good that you chose this film because I think that this film is all about it's not necessarily about going to hell like like there's aspects of it that are important to but this is all about personal hell that we put ourselves through yes like, like that's really kind of like what and that's really kind of what the curation this month is all about and that's what this movie does such a good job of doing is like the personal hell you're willing to put yourself through and you're willing to sit through and you're willing to go the length to get what you want is really kind of what is incredible in this movie. And that's really what like this woman delivers an incredible performance. And I mean, they both do. The actors are so great, right? I mean, I think you hit it on the head is that it's, it's the journey into what we're willing to put suffering on ourselves, right? Yeah. It's like the classic thing when you tell a depressed person, like, you know, it'll be all right. Just be happy. And the depressed person like, don't you think I thought of that? You fuck. <laughs> like, you know, like, sometimes it's just not that easy for people. We are the generators of all the best and worst in our own lives. Right. And so something like this that she didn't necessarily have control over. But then everything she does after seemingly is just to bring herself more and more. This is something the movie does extremely well. I thought the visual presentation of the ritual as it moves forward was brilliant. It's one of those, like you said, it could get lost in like an old preacher just being like, and this book says we do this. They visually make it very fascinating to go through this, these rituals. And it it plays as a, a visual roadmap of her descent into grief. Yeah. Like every, as the ritual proceeds, it gets more and more brutal you feel like you are being pulled into the depths of her sadness. Like there's no level where it'll bottom out for her. Right. And I think he even says, right, that the the ritual is cyclical. Like you might have to do it a couple yeah. times. Well, the, so it really takes the floor out of the grief. Like after the first time she kind of like goes through the whole thing and nothing, nothing really happens. She gets really pissed and she's like, what the hell? And he's like, I told you this was going to take time. And I also told you, yeah, it's cyclical. Like, it's not part of that. And I think that's what's really great is, and again, this just goes back to like what the script does so well is it tells you you're going to see this a lot. And it warns you ahead of time, like being a cyclical ritual means that we're going to have to go through this a couple of different times. And this isn't something that's going to be boring, but you're going to see some pretty brutal shit over and over again that it might seem repetitive, but it will find a way to become meaningful at some point in the film. And it really, it does. It does a nice job of doing that. Right. Well, that's, that gets back to the the sparseness of it and how clever they are. Like there's a room they call the decay room, right? And they literally just throw a tree branch in a room. And you're like, that's just a masterful use of 
yeah. of props, right? Because you're like, that's a nothing shot. But in the context of what this is, it takes on a greater meaning. Um, at one point, she's sitting there and water's being sprinkled on her, mm-hmm. right? But because we know what's going on and they do this great job of slow burning through the movie yeah. where even though she's only getting sprinkles dropped on her, we imagine it's been going on for so long as to be right. so brutal. Like we're doing a lot of the work. We're doing the lifting. Because uh, I wrote down, right, this movie gets so much out of sparseness, right? There's the drinking the blood shot. Yep. It's literally just some blood mix in a cup. But it gets so much out of that, the depravity of that. And that's one of the best moments in the film is when she says, I'm willing to do extra things that are horrible because I will not do forgiveness. Yeah. Right? And that it, it's one of those little things, but it tells you so much about her and brings you further into the emotional journey of the character, right? There's the raindrop room, um, you know, the toy moving around, small. But it, it means a lot. Again, there's all these little visual motifs that are just so important to the movie that when you lock in on them. Yeah, the little toy particularly was such an interesting choice. Like, it's clearly a totem from the from the boy. And mm-hmm. she's, like, keeping it. She keeps it really, like, you realize it's very significant to her, especially after she loses it the first time. Like, that becomes so important. Like, she tears her room apart. Uh, but, um. There's something that I do. But it also plays into this you don't know is because if it's paranormal, then the object becomes an avatar of the right. uh, exactly. you're not evil sure spirit. What, you're not sure. What or really is. is this fucking guy creeping around her room? Right. See, I think and that's, that's kind the, of the whole that's the razor's edge the whole movie plays on. Right. And I think that's the other thing I loved. That's the other thing I the thing I loved about the movie the most was that it really played on your senses of like whether what you're willing to believe like. You know, if you're a spiritual person, maybe you're willing to believe that there are spirits in the house. But, like, there's a lot of us who um, are maybe a little less spiritual than others. But also, you're sitting there and going, well, obviously, this guy is just gaslighting her and kind of, like, going yeah. through that. There is something, it starts to feel that way a lot. <laughs> yeah. There is something that I wanted to bring up about the atmospherics in the movie. Because the, the visuals, when the movie starts, are, like, the sparseness of the visuals is really important to me in this movie. Like, the... That opening shot of just like the uh, countryside is really beautiful, and there's a lot of that. What I thought was interest was an interesting choice, and maybe not necessarily something I would have done, but something that I uh, thought was interesting was once they entered the house, he was still showing like exteriors. You know what? That tripped me out too, because to me that takes you out of the building pressure in the house. I think so too. And that what, was what do you what do you think it. the idea of that was? Because it would have been just as easy to show like a pan shot of one of the rooms, right? Right. Yeah. Because as the ritual progresses, they do this beautiful chalk drawings on the floor, mm-hmm. right? That that's like one of those visual things that helps us see that the ritual is getting more and more serious. But instead of showing things like that. A clog of that. Yeah, they'll cut outside to, like, the pond and this and that. Yeah, I thought do you, it was do you, really... What do you think? Cause that has to be an intentional choice. I, I hope so. Like, if it if it is an intentional choice, maybe the vis, it's maybe it's a visual cue that the outside world is changing. But nothing really changes. Like, maybe it's just... You know, a, yeah, so I kind of am with you on that. I honed in on this idea, right? Is that if this is all fake... The whole idea of the ritual is he's constantly overselling it, right? Real demons, real angels. Like, you know, we're unshackling. The synchronicity's off. Oh, that's a bird that hit our house because the dimensions are crossing, right? Right. When he cuts outside, to me, it made it feel so much more 
like a psychological game because the whole idea of the ritual is to summon things and every time he pans outside it's completely empty interesting and it's like no no matter how much they're trying to do in the house nothing's happening right there is no like you know we want our grief to be we want to see angels and demons because it gives some kind of greater purpose to the tragedies we suffer pulling outside of the house between rituals makes the ritual seem like the childish game of us trying to grasp at some greater meaning. Right. That's interesting. The, I, the end of the movie somewhat invalidates that. So maybe it's a ploy to keep us on our our toes. Right. But yeah, I, I, I noticed that too. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, that's interesting. I, uh, I hadn't thought of it that way, but I think that's... Maybe it is just like, again, this whole movie, like up until a certain point, the whole movie does feel a little bit like a bait and switch. Like you're waiting for... You're waiting for the other shoe to drop for a lot of it. And then... Yeah. A third shoe drops, and you're like, "Oh, that was well, not the, that was not the shoe I was expecting to drop." Yeah, well, it's hard because they have this amazing music that's kind of slow yeah. but ominous. A lot of the shooting inside is is stack shots, right? So she'll be in the foreground; he's in the background, almost on top of her. Right. So we're really like through the music and the shots and the tone, we're we're crushing down around them, right? As they start to get more and more at each other. And then you cut outside and it kind of, this is just silly. This is this is two people crawling into their own shared neuroses. Right. But then, then we throw the whole movie, right as the ritual could run out of steam, this is maybe the most masterful scene addition to the movie. Because the ritual's fun to watch, but that only takes you so far. Yeah. Eventually, right? you're like, what's going on? Because you're kind on? of on a razor's edge and eventually there has to be a, a something or a nothing. Then in the middle of the movie, there's a scene that throws it all into chaos for just long enough to bridge us to the big ending. Yeah. You can take this one. <laughs> it was such a bizarre. I mean, honestly, like I got, I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay. So basically what happens is the woman, uh, <laughs> he sort of confronts her. I, I thought it was really interesting. He confronts uh, the woman and says like, you are not being honest. Like that was something that I really liked is he was like, you have not been honest and you've brought, like the reason the ritual, like she gets really upset that the ritual has still not been working. And he's like, the reason it's not been working is one of us has not been honest. And I know I'm- Wait, wait, you're ju you're jumping a big scene, right? Because this all plays in a ladder. Wait, did, so that, the, did the, that happen after this scene? Yes. Oh, shit. The okay, first thing cool. that throws it all asunder, so right? Because we see them honestly and earnestly right. trying to complete the ritual. He seems like he's now doing his job, <laughs> right? He dresses up as like, uh, Napoleon Dynamite's older brother. Yeah, so the <laughs> he's, dre <laughs> he's dressed as a you know Napoleon's older brother when he meets his girlfriend. Oh yeah, he has the little do rag thing on and the the lazy robe, but he's drawing stuff on the floor. He has his notebooks. So and he mentions early in the film, "Are you ready for this?" And this backbreaking rights sexual magic. Oh yeah. So at so one point he's drawing on her back, and there's this shot of just kind of. Oh, man, he looks like a predator, right? He looks a little creepy. Yeah. The next scene, he's like, I told you this would have to happen. Let's just get it over with, right? Go put some makeup on and a T-shirt and no pants. Yeah. And so, so he pulls her into the room. We don't have to go into great detail because it is disturbing. Well, but essentially he gets her to kind of get naked, play with herself while he jerks off. Yeah. And then it's just such a gross but realistic jerk off. It's not like a long thing. There's not a lot of romance to it. It's shot very... Just camera on him being a disgusting pig. Yeah, surprisingly, he, there's not a lot of romance to a guy jerking off to a woman. <laughs> and just... Yeah, I don't know what I'm saying. Maybe not enough candle lighting. <laughs> like, they didn't church it up at all. There's, 
obviously no romance in it. But yeah, so he just does this quick, disgusting jerk off and then almost like a crying orgasmic sound. Yeah. Like, oh, 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 fuck me. Fuck me. And she turns around and just immediately is like, you little shit. Right. So she knows immediately that this was a setup. Well, doesn't, and then he unveils, he's like, there's ask, no sex magic. Sex magic. And he's like, there's no sex mag- magic in this ritual. I had to get something out. Because she has to be pure. That's right. the thing. He's like, you idiot. Like, had you been paying attention, you'd have known that this wasn't almost blaming her for his disgustingness. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's kind of like, like, I have needs, fucking dummy. Yeah. And I, I mean, you should have been smart enough not to do this in front of me. Uh, <laughs> what this does is that's the moment where the scales tipped all the way to none of this is real. Yeah. That this is a depraved man trying to take this woman's money and have some kind of... Because there's, there's a lot of power structure where he fucking flips out and breaks something. He's like, you fucking bitch. You don't know the ritual. Listen to me. Yeah. He's so a there lot becomes of this, this like, very a lot abusive of this boyfriend man thing. shit like, throughout the yeah. film. Yeah. And so... But that's one of the, the most fascinating things. It, it immediately changes genre on us, right? So now we're not in a kind of religious whore atmosphere. Now we're in a, oh, fuck, she's got to get out of this house. Yeah. So the next you know, morning. She tries to pee in his soup, and you can tell, like, something bad is coming. Yeah, she pisses, but here's, she pisses here's in where the movie, soup. And yeah. They keep doing the ritual, and then a little bit later, yeah, and then they start talking, and he says. This, this know, is maybe you, the one misstep, though, right? Because right between this and anything else big that happens, we actually see, like, a little um, flower bloom. In the hallway. Yeah. And that's when she's like, it is working. It couldn't have blown in. And they let us off the hook. Yeah. Right? And then, now, if only that's not enough, in one of the next rituals, we actually see it raining sprinkles of gold on her. Yeah. Flakes. And it's all within about five minutes after the jerk-off scene. So they didn't give us an enormous time to sit in this, holy fuck. Like, yeah. they just really switched it on us. They do it briefly, and it's brilliant to give the film a little extra run. Right. But then almost immediately after that, make a very weird choice of showing us, oh, there are actually supernatural powers at play. That that right. that I thought was a weird well, misstep. I think, I think what's interesting is I don't know if it's a misstep or if it's like what it right. what okay. he's what he I think what he's trying to do is not turn it into this like sort of like psychosexual uh type of flick. And instead he doubles down twice on like pure uh, he doubles down like twice on like pure mysticism and says all right i can throw i can throw the audience back into this like weird shit and make them forget that i just had a guy (laughs) have a girl (laughs) stripped down and jerk off like i bet i can do that and he does a really nice job of like doubling down on this like really miss really strange mysticism you're like oh so maybe it wasn't just some weird psychosexual thing it was like a release they both needed to release something. Like now, the, right. now the magic's working. It's a really you know what I uh, I actually I think you're I think maybe I I misspoke right. It's not a misstep because I guess you can't play that thread of oh he's just a predator for too too long. Otherwise right. you can't get to the ending. Exactly. I think that's it changes the everything. I think that's and then the like thing. you said they redouble down on the mysticism and craziness shit. Uh, because then that's the thing. After he me too's her, right? Right. Then we go on and we find out that she's been lying this whole time. Yeah. So now they're making him a victim of her behavior. Right. And it, it keeps this super unusual. They're both untrustworthy, right? Like this guy is essentially a sexual assaulter. Yeah. And then not long after, we're trying to, again, 
make her bad. So it's it's a weird series of the film where everything begins to get very chaotic. Yeah, this guy pulls um, a, this guy pulls a full Weinstein, and then like two scenes later, she uh, he's like, "You have not been been honest, and that's why the magic isn't like that's why this is not happening." And so finally, she reveals like kind of what her real reasoning is for being there, even though really yeah. I didn't find it to be that far off from why she was going to be there anyways. Like, well, the difference is she's like, because I loved my child so much and miss him, I just want to hear his voice again for closure to, I want the kids that were doing these dark rituals on my kid to suffer enormously and die in vengeance. So it has nothing to do with the target of, this beacon that is the love of her son yeah. and everything to do with this. I want to share this gruesome despair right. with okay. the people who inflicted it on me. All right. I guess so I think true. it's, I think it's actually kind of a nice moment. It's, it's very jarring though. When he gets up and attacks her and he's like, you fucking cow. Yeah. And you're like, dude, you're like a sex offender. What the yeah. fuck? So there's this moment of, Pure chaos that becomes insane. Yeah. It's like, and then we see him holding a bottle and he starts drinking and then we go to like we have to get the rights back on track, and he fucking drowns her in a bathtub. <laughs> yeah, that was fucking insane. Yeah, he like so he he uh yeah he's like we got to get this back on track. He takes her up to a bathtub and fucking drowns her. And then what I didn't understand like so he drowns her, and then is surprised that she drowned. Like even- no, I think he she had to do that so she kind of dies and is reborn. She touched the void. And then she's resuscitated. She's reborn into the rights, I think, is what he's. I mean, it's a gamble. The fact that he's like, oh, I can just bring someone back from, you know, essentially near death. Yeah. Uh, But then he's like in the kitchen, like, here, have this bagel or this coffee I made you. Aren't I a swell guy? She jumps him and then he just gets a knife through the gullet. And he's like, it's perfect. Everything's working. This is my payment. Oh, it's yeah. Like, he was like, oh, yeah, this is exactly what was supposed to happen. I'm like, really, guy? The knife? And also, I'm like, the knife should have like gone between your legs and chopped your dick up for being a sex assaulter and now murderer. <laughs> yeah. You know That's I mean? how like, we all would have known that the magic was actually working is your dick would be gone. So <laughs> that's the magic. Just a chop. <laughs> and then he has to eat it, right? He has to put that in a little blood chalice and drink his own <laughs> sex offender dick. No, it's, but it's a crazy for a mo- a movie that is very sparse and slow rolling. Then in about a 10 or 15 minute period, we are in pure chaos. Yeah, like it starts. Right. We go from sex offender to she's lied and the whole thing might not work. He's not because the whole one thing that is solid is even in the beginning when he's deciding whether or not to take the job, he's always taking this as scientific fact. Right. That this is how this happens. Now we see him shaking almost as if he knows he's done something bad and he's trying to find a way out of the house himself into a murder and he's stabbed with a knife and he's slowly dying of infection. Like this is where the movie completely comes unhinged. Yeah. But, and this might be where you, you prove me wrong that it's not a misstep is in that little interim when they, they take us out of the, Oh, this is a gaslighting film and show us the sprinkles of gold. Maybe that's the anchor we need to keep us afloat. Yeah. Or keep us steadied, not afloat, steadied, I guess. Through this very tumultuous period of the film. See, yeah, that's that's what I kind of think about is I think that the movie is it, it it shows these very real things like the tangibility of like the sexual assault and the tangibility of drowning, coming back, like all these things that seem not very supernatural are also hooked to these very odd supernatural occurrences that aren't like these huge revelations. It's not like 
light exploding or windows breaking or anything like that. It's very like small, subtle things that are again really good low budget tricks like right. gold sprinkling from the ceiling. Like, of course, like why wouldn't you? Like they never show the top of the ceiling because someone's probably on a ladder on the other side, like you know, just like shaking <laughs> gold out. <laughs> they have the powdered sugar thing trying to sprinkle gold. Like there's all these great little low budget things you're but it's just enough oddity. Like it's just enough strange stuff. That's for you exactly to, the way to put it. Yes, yeah. they they give you just enough things that are off. Yeah, and you're like, right? Oh, like, of course, one little thing is off, and it it makes the whole scene have a more ominous feel when mixed with these actors giving very good performances right, and this very, right. you know, ominous music. I mean, it, it all plays very well. Uh, one of the scenes I absolutely loved, right, is as she's coming out. There's this moment where. You know, he looks at her and she's like, I'm not like you. You're disgusting, right? Because he's obviously proven he's a sexual assaulter, a murderer. a huge creep. He's kind of a piece of shit, right? His whole thing is he just wants invisibility before he inevitably will go to hell, right? That's what he's going to ask the angel. That was going to ask the angel. And there's this moment where she takes, like, moral high ground on him. Like, you know, ugh. Just kind of repulsed by him. Uh, Rightfully so. Absolutely. But he does this, you're as bad as me. Like, you're the exact same as me. Maybe worse. And that's an interesting moment in the film where we don't know if she maybe believes him for a second i think that that's that's an interesting point i hadn't really thought of it like that she see me as an audience member i don't accept that no but she she feels like she does for a second he questions her her wish right because he's like these kids are already damned like they'll go to hell right you trying to make it worse and not using your moment your gift essentially to make Things better for you, but to spread misery, that makes you worse than me. Right. But a I guy also, who's already spreading misery. <laughs> well, that's like such a strange turn, too. Like, that's another great setup for the end of the movie, too, is like, instead of you're trying to make things worse for someone else rather than make things better for you. That's an interesting. Yeah, yeah that's an interesting point. That's how the man justifies, I think, his behaviors, right? Is right. that, well, I'm going to give you your guardian angel so you can't be mad at me that I Louis C.K.'d in the living room. You know what I mean? Right. And to me, it's it's a nice, it's a pause moment to sit and ponder the, these everyday atrocities that people put each other through, right? Yeah. And what, where is the line between, you know, what is just pure evil and this and that? Uh, and then, but they do so many nice little things. They're constantly whipping us back and forth, right? So there's a great moment where she hears her son's voice. Yeah. And it's speaking to her through the walls, right? This was the wish she lied and said she wanted. Right. Now the lie is coming to haunt her, right? Her actual child's voice talking to her. Obviously, probably not her actual child. It could be a demon. Maybe her child is damned. You know, that's like a scary thing to contemplate extra. Um, But then he's out there sickly, and she runs to him and hugs him. So even as bad as things have gotten between the two of them and the horrible things that are happening in the house now as the ritual right. hits critical mass, there's this very nice moment of just she needs any kind of human comfort. Yeah. And sadly, this man on her journey to grief, he's the only one who's been able to get close to her at all through this terrible grief. Yeah. Right? That maybe only because he's broken as well, they can have a moment of somewhat understanding the horror of that moment. Right. I think she's still looking for that. She's still, even after having been Louis C.K.'d and all kinds of shit and drowned and all kinds of terrible shit, she's still looking for this companionship, knowing that something weird is about to happen. She needs a guide there. And I think that's really interesting of like, 
it's like the vic the it's the victim becoming the it's the victim becoming the person who is the person doling out the solace i guess because he's clearly going to die like yeah it's kind of a stockholm syndrome it's so weird because yeah then then he does die yeah she finds him dead she breaks the salt circle and then is brought back um something i saw in the movie this is where it kind of descends into a little bit of the horror movie yeah we start to see like you know old crusty rob zombie extras yeah uh, the last 20 minutes of the movie are like an actual horror movie but other than that, yeah. It's really... Okay, so there's the thing that they play in the movie, right? Is that she sees a vision of an old lady with her son. Yeah. What do you make of that? Why does she see an old lady? To me, this was an inversion of the guardian angel thing. That maybe her son was damned. Do you think the old lady actually is some kind of greater spirit that's bringing her? damned child soul or is this just a, a visual trick do you read more into it than i did is it just a nice visual i mean to me it was just a nice visual like i mean imagine like if you're in a house that's starting to fill up with demons like the, the, i mean one of the best i mean again like crusty old ladies that's a great it's a great visual cue you know like there's it's rare that you've it's rare that you're in a horror movie and you see a crusty old lady and don't and go Oh, I'm sure nothing. I'm sure nothing troubling is coming from this person. No, it's always yeah. It's that's always, true. I mean, to me, it kind of plays as a, uh, an in, an inversion. What's the word I'm looking for? A it, sacrilegious, if I was uh, gonna, blasphemous view of the mother-child protector. Right? I'd say if I was, that it's not. It's not her protecting and being the guide for her child anymore because she lost him. It's right. a a withered old version of that I'd say it's kind of the the destruction of the mother child bond right i'd say if i was going to read into it it would have been a mockery of her relationship with her son like that's, that's a good word it's, it would be a better word <laughs> what'd you say i said that's the word i said about 10 words that's not that's the one i wanted <laughs> nailed it that's what I'm here sometimes for. that's what we got to do as the host you got to run into the breach and take all the bullets so that you can come in like a genius <laughs> Uh, yeah, man. I, I don't know. It To me, there's the creepiness of her just sitting on the stairs watching her guide be taken to hell. That might be one of uh, my favorite moments was her sitting on the stairs. There's one candle and she mm -hmm. just watches that hand reach out and drag the dead dude back into hell. I was like, that it's is crazy, right? It doesn't take much to to present an image that's truly no. scary. And you did her sitting there so still makes that so much more scary. And you didn't need an audio cue or anything like it. This mm -hmm. is again goes back to this great low budget filmmaking. Is you're just like you know what? It's weird to watch a dead guy get dragged anywhere. So why don't we just do that? Like that's just right. so cool. Because that's the thing they don't do jump scares. They've earned this slow pressure cooker. They've earned your trust as an audience. They brought you in on real storytelling, right? And so little moments like that, they have this greater like, because they built this tension and unease throughout mm -hmm. the movie. Um, I would say they lose it a little bit. I could have, the demon basement, I don't know. It's obviously a visual for, this is her on her farthest moment from God, the godly path, right? right. The wholeness of herself. This is the lowest point of despair that we've seen her. And it's in a basement. It's very on the nose. There are actual demons. Yeah. Uh, we see her actually lose a finger, which was kind of, it's a little lowbrow, I think, for what this movie accomplishes. Yeah. But to me, it, it plays as a visual of just, she's not whole, right? It's, right. A, it's a visual symbol for what she's actually missing. Right. She's incomplete. And as she goes on this ritual, you know, she's losing more and more of herself. And then we, 
totally fucking flipped the switch, right? Yeah. And the fucking lights break. The lights ah. literally. She explode runs up the stairs. On. Lights explode. We go into the living room, and in the circle, as promised, is trapped her guardian angel, the biggest fucking <laughs> angel I've ever seen in a movie. Again, I, gorgeous angel. I think I, I texted you. I was like, that might be the most overt angel I've ever seen in a movie. <laughs> like it's. It's literally a person in like beautiful, like Roman, it's golden Roman armor with us right. like hunched over. Gorgeous. Taking up the entire living room. And I was like, I, I was just sitting there. I'm like, the gag is- they did though that sells it the most is when he talks, we hear nothing, just the shaking of everything in the yeah, room. Yeah, yeah. That was a great little touch. That's a really interesting way to do that. And I thought that was really cool. But yeah, I was Yeah, just- I know a lot of people I shared the movie with, they're like, the fuck was with that angel because <laughs> i think as they get into the basement it's much more of the movie they thought they were seeing exactly but what's what i kind of like about this movie right is it's it's one of these horror movies that actually has a full circle or not a full circle but a, a half circle arc right we start at the lowest point of despair and instead of wishing for the death and whatever when confronted with the beauty and wholeness and the light of the world presumably the better angels of her nature She's able to choose forgiveness, right? right? That was her only commandment is that I don't do forgiveness. And she asked the angel for the power to forgive. And it might seem corny to some, but to me, I think it's actually a super lovely moment. No, it's an Because, I mean, I was sitting there as a parent and you're like, I get where she's at. Like, if someone ever took my kid, I would want to have time to kill that fucker. Absolutely. I would have no remorse. Like, you, you can relate to everything she's done as horrible as it is. Right. And... For her in that moment to have a, I want to restore myself. There has to be more. Um, I don't want to see myself in place of that withered crone with my son, right? Right. Uh, there, There's this great moment of beauty and release. And because we've just been putting the screws to her the whole movie and pushing her down and pushing her down and making it worse, you know, bruising the apple as it were. There, there's such a nice moment of catharsis with this this lovely angel and it's presented. And then she asks the angel, and this is a money shot to me. The angel doesn't say or do anything. It just has this little tiny that smile. little smirk, yeah. And to me, I was like, that's a fucking money shot. That that made the whole thing work for me it, perfectly. Oh, no, I agree. Like, I mean, that's what it really is, is like, it's sort of the thing that religion is supposed to teach you. Like, religion and the rites of certain rituals and that kind of thing is, religion is about learning to better yourself a lot of the time. So I think it was an interesting thing for, again, like that's like the perfect angel response is to smirk when someone asks for the power to forgive. It's like, you've learned your lesson. Like this is what you, this is what, yeah. this, this is what this ritual is really meant for. It's not asking a favor for me to go do something terrible to someone. It's for you to ask a favor to become a better person. And that's really and kind it, of what religion yeah. is supposed to do in general. That's the whole point of any sort of religious study is to better yourself as a person. And it's definitely not where you think the movie's going, which again, I always appreciate if you can take it where I don't expect and it works. Uh, But to me, it's just simple imagery that explains the whole journey, right? There's this woman who's a filthy wretch undone by her own grief and chaos, succumbing to the darkness. Uh, She's not whole as a human being, right? right? Obviously through the finger and what happened. And so it takes the basement, which kind of plays a little, you know, cliche horror moment and gives it some greater visual flair. Right. Right. And then, yeah, it's this filthy wretch in front of this immaculate being of her best self. Right. 
so I thought that was great. I love the angel ending. Most people I show it to, they kind of have a little beef with the angel. But then I think it's hilarious. We go from the angel to her literally just burying a body in the pond. <laughs> so she's like, angel, I'll be better. I'll do my best. She's, you know, Jimmy Stewart running through Bedford Falls. I'll be the best guy I can be after I dispose of this body. After I, after I dispose of this body, said so no one knows that this horrible shit went down at this house. Yeah. Yeah, and then she she disposes of the body, and she's just driving and smiling. Another car drives past her in the other direction, right. so a sign that she's back, indicating shackled she's to back our in world, reality reshackled to the world. I thought, but that yeah, was I <laughs> but I yeah. fucking love the idea of like I'm all better. I just gotta bury this body. One more, one more sin, Angel. I'm one better. More sin. I just I just got this. I got this loose thread. I gotta take care of. <laughs> just give me a second. Give me one second. Oh, uh, that was fucking funny. But yeah, I mean, it works for me. I also. Uh, to me, there's there's an extra thing that kind of works with the ending too, which is when she crosses the salt circle again. I think we get a a shot of her actually walking over the salt again. Mm-hmm. We we play with the and now we see that she's out. Right, she wasn't able to cross the circle before. Uh, maybe she never gets to cross. Once you're you're bound by the salt, maybe she couldn't cross until she essentially died and was reborn. Right. Again, I think when she goes back in to get the dead body, she should be locked back in by the salt. <laughs> so it's a bit of moral moral uh, gray area. There's some- yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's all very simple, sparse, great filmmaking that leads to a bigger visual ending than I think you expect from this movie. Right. The cool thing about this movie is I think it works with the big angel, but I also think it works that they just have to sit there and see how far they can push this thing. Right. And then it ends in like a, you know, when a stranger calls way. It's it's just a good, well-told movie. Yeah, I think that ultimately the benefit of... It's one of those movies you watch and you're like, man, the benefit of there not being a lot of money in this movie is what makes this movie so good. Like, right. the ability for people well, that's, to... That's the, uh, Orson Welles, right? Is that the best art happens in the absence of resources? That was kind of his theory. I mean, it's totally true. Like two actors, one location and a bunch of weird shit, you know, like. Well, I mean, you said it earlier, right? Like because this is kind of an anti-exorcism movie. Think about all the exorcism movies you've seen that are ruined by like a bad CG demon like coming out of the ceiling. And I thought it was really I thought it was really smart to like because I was waiting kind of like because I knew once you got to the house, I'm like, okay, there's going to be some creature shit going on. And I really liked that it was kind of just like, yeah, these like Rob Zombie extras or like people that like had just finished what dreams may come and walked onto set for this movie. <laughs> like, <laughs> like that's kind of like what it looked like, though. And I, I, I really appreciated that it wasn't just these guys trying to do like creature feature stuff on a low budget because that. Yeah. So much lessened the impact of like dance. Because it's, we, it's a we great actual demons. character drama. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. We are our own hell. We are the demons that fill the hell. Right. Uh, but we get these actors that both just deliver excellent performances, mm-hmm. actually going through the emotional journey of despair and redemption. And it's a movie, while bordering on horror and psychological thriller or whatnot, that actually gives you a fairly redemptive ending. Again, take right. away the burying the body moment. Mm-hmm. And it's an actual happy, redemptive moment. This is a character that was able to go all the way to rock bottom right. in the basement and somehow find her way back to the light. And we presume she's going to drive to see her sister and be like, sorry, I told you to fook off and 
I do love my nieces and, you know, she has a shot again. <laughs> right. The power of forgiveness is a concept that is often lost once we take it to the dark, darker genres. Yeah. I think that it was a really good, it's a good redemptive movie. And I really do think that any way else, other than, yeah, other than, <laughs> other than the water burial. Okay. Now that actually might be a misstep. The earlier one, not a misstep. That might be a little, this one, that, that might one, be wrong. That one might actually be a huge problem. I was like, well, let's see. I really just wanted forgiveness, but first I'm going to get rid of this evidence, and then I'll, then I'll have to forgive it. <laughs> she should have been like, Angel, can you give me five to go bury a body, and I'll just get forgiveness for the whole thing. <laughs> but yeah, guys, I, I hope you guys all enjoyed this movie. I think anytime you get to see a movie like this that has such good filmmaking, um, it's a real treat, man. It's, it's incredible what artists who have something to say can pull off. And it's I think this is a great example of that. It's very interesting. It's probably not, it was not what I expected, but it's definitely uh, worth a watch. I'd say. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. It's just, it's a bit above the normal genre fair that something like this could have been. I always appreciate when something soars above the shackles of what it should have been. <laughs> right? right. I agree. Uh, yeah, guys. So I hope you enjoyed it as much as us as always. Uh, if you know a friend who would like this movie, watch it with them. Share the show with them. Hopefully, we will bring more Alchemist in this. We can all compare notes and find this movie magic that we all so desperately seek. Um, you know, again, rate, review the show. That helps us a ton. Make sure you subscribe so you're getting the new episodes as soon as they drop. You can go to the app Letterboxd. I have a list that you can follow. The Film Alchemist podcast list. Uh, I'm under jail, Griffey621, I think. But my list should be public for everyone. That has all the movies we have watched or will watch that we've scheduled coming up. So you can stay abreast and ahead of what we're watching so that as soon as the movie drops and you're subscribed, you'll be ready to go with us. Uh, that's it, guys. Thank you so much. Send us your ideas for movies you'd like to see us add in a theme or maybe just as one-offs. And yeah, we just we appreciate all the help. We need you guys. Um, I would hate to have to ask my guardian angel to take vengeance on all of you for not doing your jobs. 